All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Before we get started with anything else here tonight, I just want to say thank you. Uh, to all the veterans that are out there, of course, today is Veterans Day. So to all the veterans, we want to say thank you. And to all the veterans' families who sacrificed so that they can serve, we want to thank you just as much. So before we do anything else, we want to acknowledge those that make it possible for us to do what we're about to do for the next three hours in the first place. Thank you, and God bless you. We got a packed show here tonight because we've got the Dace Group Roundtable. That means Kim is here with us. Don't forget, it is a feedback Friday. So we'd love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D E A C E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. I want to begin by sharing some thoughts. Just again, you know, we're still sort of surveying the landscape, aren't we, folks, post election a little bit? I don't know how you guys feel. But what we are watching right now, 
I mean, I've got a, I've got something I posted on our Facebook wall earlier today where Bernie Sanders' wife is on CNN saying the reason they lost is because they weren't leftist enough. You know, we saw another night of protests. What, what happened last night in Portland was disgusting. There's a story out that the the daughter of a slain police officer was disinvited from speaking at SMU in Dallas because of the, quote, reaction to the election. That's just un-American, and that ought, to, that, ought, that, ought, that ought to get your righteous indignation up. I mean, there ought to be some trustees. That is Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. There ought to be some trustees calling the administration to that school saying, are you freaking kidding me? Who's getting fired today? I know the person that doesn't reverse that decision in the next five minutes. That's who. Who am I not writing a check to at the end of the year? Oh, I know. The person that doesn't reverse that decision in the next five minutes. As we watch this transpire, a couple of thoughts come to me. Number one, it proves that I have been right now for the last several years in calling progressivism a cult. When you are unable to moderate your tone or tactics even a little bit strategically when it would help you, but you just remain unhinged despite all the evidence to the contrary, that is, that's, that's, that's signs of a cult. That's spirit of the age kind of stuff is what it is. This is, you ever wondered, you read the story sometimes in the Bible, you're like, what was it like to be there? What was it like to just, if you were off to the side watching the crowd outside of Lot's house, unhinged the night before the sulfur fell it was like what we're seeing right now it was like that in an election that is largely lost by the left because of a backlash against their own mobocracy their own thuggery they're mostly out there again what are they doing the same thing that helped lose them this in the first place they are giving president trump it's similar to what i said on pbs the other night where the media's histrionics are giving him political cover he likely doesn't deserve. So later on, if he does go overly authoritarian and they try to hold his feet to the fire, a lot of people are just going to say, oh, here we go again. Biased media. Martha Raddatz, who has who has moderated debates the last two presidential cycles, crying on the air about Trump winning, crying on the air. These people are giving Trump political cover he could not have earned on his own, giving his unfavorables, his own persona, which even when he tones it down, and I know because I have a similar persona in terms of being a little over the top, even when you try and tone it down, you're still offending a, 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 immediately, just that persona, no matter what you say with it. You're offending a group of people right away. So your ability to over, be overly popular is limited when you have that persona in the first place. Yet they're giving them all kinds of political cover because of their own antics. They are the best get out the vote effort he has. I can promise you the Trump people are just rolling tape on everything you've been watching. These things are all going to be in commercials four years from now. And Mac, in fact, I don't know what you three think. Look at me as an example. All of us here tonight, either I don't. Did you end up voting for Trump, Kim? No. All right. So none, nobody here voted for Trump. We were all reluctant or never Trumpers or couldn't bring ourselves to pull the lever for him. And that's. By pure coincidence, I don't ever tell you guys how to vote or what to think to come on the show. You ever say anything to you guys like that? Nope. At all? Not mm-hmm. to my recollection. Uh, listen, I still think Trump's a con man and a moral reprobate. Yep. All right. But, hey, the last time we had a moral reprobate in the White House was Bill Clinton, and we did get probably the most conservative government in his second term we've had since Reagan was in office. I thought I was going to have to grit my teeth to give Trump a chance. But i got to tell you, this has been a lot easier than I ever imagined. 
and it's getting easier for me by the hour. Why? Has Trump really changed? He put out just a silly tweet last night responding to the protesters, which it was and it was clear when something else was retweeted a few hours later. They took his Twitter account back again. All right. Um, No, not really. But these people are unhinged. They are helping to convert people like me for him. Am I alone in this? What does everybody else in the studio think having having watched what we have seen transpire the last 72 hours? I think people who were reluctantly pulling the lever for Trump or enthusiastic supporters are like, yeah, we did the right thing. I mean, I th- I can't see how anybody's like how anybody's having doubts about voting for Trump at this point, um, just purely based on uh, what the alternative was and what the reaction has been. I'm experienced the closest thing I think I've ever experienced to schizophrenia because the joy of all the right people getting freaked out having to deal with this versus what I uncertainty at best concerning Donald Trump. And I'm I'm probably stretching that just for the sake of being somewhat optimistic. I, I have a, a dread sometimes about what Donald Trump's going to do. But yeah, you're, you're right. They are giving me, they're allowing me to have, for him to have the benefit of the doubt. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that is that, a good That's way. a good way of putting it, Kim. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And then I think of, you know, those people in California that say they want to exit the union. I mean, this just brings vindication to the people that actually are supporting Trump. As the rest of the country watches this, don't you think the rest of the country, along the lines of what Aaron said, the rest of the country as they watch this, that that if they weren't just invested in progressive ideology or some in some way, or Trump's shtick, his his moral and his immorality, his antics just drove them into the ground. But if you were one of those people that did go into the polling booth at the last minute or decided in the last few weeks, we, we just can't afford this. Whatever my qualms and reservations about this human being alternative is, this we just we can't afford to validate these people anymore. Don't you think right now those people are feeling as if they just made like the greatest moral calculation of the age watching this? Yes. And so here's why that's a benefit to Trump as well, because you're taking people who are peer who are P2s and you're turning them into P1s. And you're taking people who are P3s and you're turning them into P2s. And you're taking people who are P4s and you're turning them into P3s if you get the customer, you know, the business lingo that I'm using here. And then you're taking people who are noncommittal, not sure they were interested in your product, like me, for example. You're turning them into P4s. I mean, they, they are branding him. They are giving him a level of branding and credibility that his campaign that he waged and the caliber of candidate he is is not worthy of Todd. The brand is, he's not them. Yes. I'm not with stupid. That's what it is. You're right. Aaron, your thoughts? Yeah, I I think uh, what we're seeing right now is the left for many years in this country, especially the last eight, yes, they're unhinged. Yes, progressivism is a cult. But on many levels, they're very, very disciplined. Uh, the, The leadership is very, very disciplined in what they do. And right now, we're even seeing their leadership uh, maybe President Obama excluded. I think they're starting to lose grip as well and lose uh, kind of lose their minds along with their base. You're always going to expect the base of a cult to lose its mind. I mean, I think that's I think that's going to be um, just a non-starter, or d- d- just a guarantee until a cult goes away. But I think you're starting to see the leadership become a little bit unhinged too. That means, listen, Trump still has 
an element of his support that is and was a cult. And we were one of the first people to point that out earlier this year. But the basis, there's a basis for supporting him a part of being a, set aside from being a part of that cult, Agreed. right? Progressivism in and of itself is the cult. That is the basis for joining. See the difference I'm trying to make? So while I don't think one is better or worse than the other in terms of the moral implications, because of the numbers progressivism brings to the table and the ferocity by which they will pursue it if given power, I think they're clearly the more dangerous one. Do you agree with that, Todd? Oh, wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. I mean, that, 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 you know what I said. I, it's one of the reasons I'm optimistic. Those locusts aren't going to stop. They're going to turn it up to 11. All right, when we come back, there's more interesting election data that is coming in. And since I'm going to be taking a a bit of a long post-election weekend, I'll be gone Monday and Tuesday. I want to touch on some of this stuff because it'll be old news by the time I get back. So stay tuned. You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show back here on the steve day show powered by conservative review here on the salem radio network all right some interesting election data that is out i want to get you guys' take on it because I mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm taking a bit of a long weekend post-election. I'll be back on Wednesday. You guys are going to be holding down the fort. But by the time I return, this stuff will be old news. All right. So Hillary Clinton is going to win the popular vote. And it looks like she's going to win it by a lot more than, than Al Gore did when he lost the election in 2000. In fact, it is possible on the current uh, popular vote trend line, particularly when they get done counting California, for example, it is possible that Hillary Clinton is going to have a wider popular vote margin than Nixon had in 68 and Kennedy had in 1960 when they won the presidency. Your thoughts on what you guys think that means? If Ir- anything. Irrelevant. Don't think it means anything at all? No. Okay. I, I don't. Because I don't think that... I, I don't think that's really... I, I think the left... I, I understand the power of that I mean, argument. That's going to be, the, their fun, that's gonna be a that's fundraising. Yeah, that's going to be... They're going to fundraise off the, of that for but, the next few years. But they were going to fundraise off wedge issues and doing what they sure. do. Anyways, I, I, yeah. I don't agree. I mean, to lucid people like you and I, yes, that is... It is interesting. It is significant. It informs us about who Donald Trump is, what, what kind of victory, and I use air quotes, this exactly was. But in terms of an impact on the left almost none at all well you think kim does it mean anything a, to you at all it'll be a target population idea i mean that they're going to just go into yeah those, i mean that this is going to be their fake what we're astroturf about. tea party grassroots movement the next few years is popular the popular vote movement it will do nothing accomplish nothing but a lot of folks on the left are going to get stupid rich fundraising off of this yep. is pretty much right okay aaron you want to add to that at all you good uh, i i think i'm good i agree that this is gonna this is i mean this is nothing in the end this is not going to have um any impact other than the riots that we're seeing all right here's another nugget that that caught my eye. It, it appears, again, when the numbers are done, Trump's going to receive slightly more non-white votes than Romney did in 2012. Um, on, he's going to be more on par with the black and Hispanic vote with where McCain was, a little worse than where George W. was in 2004. Does that mean anything to you at all, Todd? It, it doesn't really surprise me in terms of the black vote. It really surprises me uh, with the Hispanic vote. In fact, vote. there's some evidence that when you throw in non-voters and third-party voters, 
Hillary may have lost blacks by 10 points worse than or may have lost 10 points of ground from Obama in 2012 when the yeah. numbers are and, counted. And what this says about the Hispanic vote and the Republicans' ability to go on offense with a vengeance on immigration and what this says about the gender vote and Republicans' ability to go uh, on the uh, life issue with a vengeance if they have the courage, it, it, it tells you everything. Steve. Along the lines of the immigration vote, even though that created a backlash in Florida and Nevada and helped the Democrats register a lot of young Hispanic voters, it should be noted, Kim, the only three Republican senators who lost on Election Day were the three that were the most adamantly in favor of amnesty first immigration reform. And, and that, were, that was Joe Heck, that was Kelly Ayotte, and Mark Kirk in Illinois. Does that so? Do those numbers mean anything to you at all? Well, you know, I look at it and think that um, the the message the Democrats were using is that they are the party of the middle class. That doesn't hold water anymore, and um, that there's a lot of people that are suffering, and that is over all the demographics. And so I'm. I'm very interested to see if they can actually stand and deliver to keep these people within the party. As far as Hispanics go, I, I'm with Todd. I'm con- I am uh, surprised by that. I, I think this is a huge opportunity for the Republican Party because who are two of the most or two most well-known senators right now? They both ran for president, and they both have one thing in common. Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. And what do they both have in common? They're Hispanic. And yeah. and they're from a high Hispanic population, both from high Hispanic population states. states. Right. Good point, Aaron. So that, uh, I mean, I that is there was a, a reason I hired you last year. <laughs> sometimes I talk I've been until, waiting all this time, sometimes finally. Sometimes I talk until I say something. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, I think that's a huge opportunity for the Republicans to uh, really, really turn around a demographic that they were in danger of losing. All right, one more nugget I want to get you guys' response. Uh, response to. Right now, 60% of Americans live in a county that was won in a landslide by either the Republicans or the Democrats. And a lot of demographers are saying they we don't have data. Nobody charted this 100 years ago. But a lot of demographers are saying they have to believe this would be the most politically polarized the country's been, at least going back to the pre-Civil War era, if not ever. Can you say that one more time? 60% of Americans live in a county. That was won in a landslide by either Republicans or Democrats. So you're now near supermajority status. Todd, that has to mean something to you. And that's why I asked you to repeat it again, because I'm wondering what that means. We've talked a lot about you know dialogue, how we do things differently, change paradigms. This is, I mean, where do you, what do you identify then as the place where you try to get a new foothold, if that's the case. Where do you have common ground? Yes. How do you well, start do, the well, dialogue? Common, yeah, where do, you, where do you go? Well, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a liberal writer, um, and I, I retweeted him earlier today. Jonathan Weissman is his name. All right, and he's the deputy Washington editor for the New York Times. So he's not one of us, guys. And he said, let me get this straight. The Democrats' reaction to a, a, a populist election they lost with a bunch of middle-class whites in the Rust Belt is to make the chairman of the Democratic National Committee the only openly, open, open Muslim serving in Congress? That's your reaction to this? Now, that's coming from the deputy editor of the New York Times, guys. That's not coming from Breitbart or somebody like us. So that's – exactly. Where, where, where do – your response to this is to throw Keith Ellison, I swear, an oath of office on the Quran as the, as the figurehead of your party out of power for the next four years? That's your reaction to this? Is what we're seeing progressive? It's bad enough now. Even the New York Times, Aaron's yeah. like, really? That- really? This is where we're going with this? Really? Is, 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 
I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse here, but is what we're seeing progressivism starting to collapse in on itself? Just the idiocy. Invariably, of the whole thing? all cults ultimately do. Invariably, don't they? Through history, they they almost always end in a, in a mass drowning, a hail bopping, a poisoning. Invariably, all cults ultimately collapse in themselves. And if it doesn't end tragically, guys, then it's because they got power. And then when they're when they try to implement their ideas, which run contrary to the reality of planet Earth, they just then implode upon themselves anyway, Todd. And, and, and sometimes you're just past the point of dialogue, whether you've done that well or whether you've done that badly. In many respects. This culture has just reached the point where it is quite simply, it is war. There needs to be a winner and there needs to be a loser. We've all experienced it. I've just got done on social media in the last 48 hours. Despite my attempts to have something resembling a dialogue, that which is read into every single word I say and parsed, and I basically end up tolling your opinion doesn't matter because you're a white male anyways, okay, now I just have to beat you and beat you hard on the playground. You've given me no choice. Mm. That's interesting. You know, one of the things that I also posted today I want to make reference to, I should have listened to my own analysis. I wrote an article for the Washington Times after 2014 when I analyzed the election data, pointing out this hemorrhaging of white voters for Democrats and, and what the percentage of white voters was across the board in 2014. And, and people say, well, that's a midterm, Steve. The turnout is lower. Actually, the percentage of black and Hispanic turnout in the 2014 midterm election percentage-wise was exactly what it was in 2012 when Obama won. And, and you saw Democrats across the country hemorrhaging white voters everywhere. And I pointed out that this guy's better at getting Republicans elected than Republicans are. You know, if I had read my own analysis... I might have had more of a Nate Silver cautionary uh, projection of this election. So remind me next go around to actually read the stuff I write before I start picking predictions. Can we do that? All right. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Politics is a contact sport. The Steve Day Show. All right, it is that time again. It is the target-rich environment that is the decline and fall of Western civilization. This is, listen, if you're not sure whether your kids should listen to this show, this is the segment they absolutely should. Because whatever is good, whatever is wholesome, whatever is decent about this world, we are going to jettison quickly because it is time to find out just how far down the rabbit hole goes. It is the worst of our worst. It is this week's sign the apocalypse is upon us. Thank you, Steve. About uh, five or six months ago, I bought my first ever grill. I think we talked about it a little bit on the show, or I brought it up maybe. And boy, has this thing been a godsend. I love going out and grilling tons of meat. In fact, just last week, yes, it was November, but it was really warm, and I was grilling outside over the weekend, and I just love preparing meat. Last weekend, I had had burgers, and I had brats, and, you know, throughout the course of the summer, I did chicken and steak and all of that. You like, you, you like, you like meat, right, Steve? I'm a, grill, I'm a grilling carnivore. You bet I am. You bet. And uh, Todd, you have a favorite uh, type of meat? Uh, I like, like to grill up. I like beef, but I'm from Wisconsin, so brats are obviously high on the list. Yeah, and, and I'm the person that grills in the house, so yeah, definitely steak. Um, well, it t- turns out 
Yeah, Kim's kids are groaning out of the house. So they can have steak every night now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but it turns out all of us are sinners. And well, not that, just, I mean, well, well, yeah. that's true. I totally uh, sinners. That. No, not just any type of sinners, though. I Steve. see. I see. Okay. Let us uh, be enlightened by PETA. Indeed. One man held me down. Oh, another touched me. I was so scared. I didn't know what I had done wrong. After, I felt like I was nothing. They got me pregnant. They use my body. I make them money. To them, I'm an object. They've called me bitch. I feel. This is not okay. I wouldn't wish this onto anyone. This hurts. I feel everything. And I feel worthless. Because I am you. Only different. That is a new commercial that the people for the ethical treatment of animals has put out. And no, they're not discussing rape. They're discussing the food that we eat and trivializing rape in the process. That is this week's sign of the apocalypse. I, I just... They clearly learned nothing from the crying for the trees video. This is what we just got to talking about. Progressives never learn. This is one gigantic punchline that has become the core of their metaphysical existence. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain, for since the creation of the world, God, for the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being or birds or animals and other reptiles. That is what you just listened to. Those are the words of St. Paul in Romans 1, talking about what it looks like when a culture or a subculture or a group of people essentially put themselves under judgment by continuous rejection of God's truth and the result of that is they are given over they're no longer restrained they're given over to their own insanity their own depravity if you want to know what is the mindset of an otherwise intelligent be sentient being that would that would take that script and articulate it seriously and not think this isn't parody don't I sound ridiculous because I'm going to walk out of here and do an interview about how bad rape culture is and this but I'm going to say this is I'm going to make it equivalent to this how do you get there as a person it's not your mental faculties it's not it's not where you're at ideologically this is a spiritual thing and what has happened is these are dark hearts these are these are blackened souls and that's where the flawed ideology and the and the just the incredible incredible ideological um, buffoonery, Todd. That's where it comes from. Well, and look how they have it exactly backwards. The essence of humanity is so flexible and pliable that we can be toggling back and forth between genders based on whim. But there's something so inherently pure about swine that is untouchable. 
at least this is the depths of depravity. We'll come back since we went to depravity. You know what that means. Mike Woody's going to take us to the movies next. You're listening to Steve Dace. has not yet begun to offend. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Mike Woody is here to take us to the movies. Michael, happy Friday. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. So what are we reviewing this week? Steve, don't say, don't ever say I don't bring you variety. We've got a comic book movie, we've got a war movie, and we've got a Swedish film about a grumpy old man. All right, we're going to save the Swedish film to the end because that's going to be one of the fewest people are going to care about. Let's start with the war movie, Hacksaw Ridge. Let's lead with the best material first. Okay, Your now hold on. Let's, let's go. Have you seen any of these? I've seen Hacksaw Ridge seen and, both, and Doctor Strange both. Okay. Yes. Um, Ridge, you know, this is that rare film, and, and I, I admit it was a Friday night. I had dinner before the movie. I might have dozed off a couple of times during the film. Might have. Um, I, if you I, dozed off during that film, you did Quaaludes. I was not wild about it. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. I did go back and revisit it Monday night, which my wife's like, you're going to go see that movie twice? It's, I, it's weird. The first half of the movie is kind of like this ma and pa on the farm thing, and then you've got probably some of the most bloody and gory violence uh war violence that i've ever seen in a film i don't know it was good didn't love it i don't even know you anymore i i I I knew that was coming i don't even know you anymore this is this is if you'll if you'll pardon the analogy this is the christian american sniper uh in that um this is a faith-based film but it does nothing to hide, and you alluded to it, Mike, it's nothing to hide the macabre brutality of war. And you see it. If you think the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan is brutal, or some of the kill scenes in American Sniper are brutal, this this takes you into a active war theater. And it doesn't hold anything back no. for effect to send the message, similar to the message that Mel Gibson wanted to send in Apocalypto. Or in the passion, which when both the exact same tactics are utilized, but uh, it is a powerful film. Uh, it has an incredible message, particularly timely given how uncomfortable many Americans were about this election to put out a movie about a, a man who decides he doesn't want to go with a binary choice that he views as flawed, and he wants to stick to his own conscience instead. Now that wasn't that they would not have known when they made this film. And, and planned for it to come out right around Veterans Day in the election, that we were going to be in this position. But how many Americans ha- have felt that way though, for the last couple of months, right? So I think the timing of telling a story like that is powerful. Uh, I think the movie is, it's, by, it's the best movie I've seen this year. It's even oh. better than Free State of Jones. No. I could not recommend it more highly. And I, I, I thought Vince Vaughn is the drill sergeant. I think he steals the show. 
I think he's great. He was he was just a cliche. He, oh, he same was no, he drill was great. sergeant we've seen eight hundred. I times. totally disagree. He was great. Times. He was great. You know, if you and want I thought people Andrew, to see this, I he, thought I thought Andrew Garfield. Was Andrew tremendous. Garfield was wonderful. I thought he was I will tremendous. Give you that. He was really good. If you want people to see this, you better tell them to hurry because it ain't going to be around long. There were only two films I've seen this year, and we go to the movies a lot, where the crowd applauded in a packed theater when it was over. Free State of Jones was one. Hacksaw Ridge was the other. I'd highly recommend it. Two and a half, three mushroom clouds, maybe. Listen, I know you can't stand Donald Trump, but that's a ridiculous rating. I, I think you're and saying, you can stand Donald I didn't Trump. Stand, no, Hold I'm, on. I'm just able to separate my oh. emotions from critical this has thinking. Nothing to do. With what, I don't even know what Donald Trump has to do with this movie. Because because you have to hate life to rate Hacksaw Ridge two and a half stars. Seriously, you either have to hate life, or you pick the wrong week to give up amphetamines. Here's two and a half mushroom clouds. When I go into a Mel, Mel Gibson directed film, I'm expecting greatness. This is All right, not here's greatness. The, one of you is you're ordered to go see this movie this weekend and settle this for us next Friday. Capiche? Yes. Even if all of you could go, that might be even better. All right. So this now, so, are you someone's got to settle. Are this. you paying for them to go? Yeah, it's uh, I do. It's called a salary, and I give that to them uh, wow. twice a month. As a matter of fact, you guys get that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cleared last time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> See, Aaron knows the drill. It's on a case by case basis around here. All right, Doctor Strange. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Doctor Strange. Now, on the other hand, now this is a fringe Marvel character. You'll agree with that, correct? Yeah, it was one of my favorite Marvel heroes when I was a kid, but you're right. He's a fringe character. He's a fringe character. He just kind of pops up periodically and, and helps people. I thought this movie was absolutely fantastic. They, t- they do a great job. Benedict Cumberbatch is perfect in this role as this arrogant neurosurgeon who loses his way of, of making a living and ends up uh, with some bizarre Tilda Swinton person in uh, Bangladesh or where is it? Kathmandu? Yes. Um, I I just I I thought the bad guy was a good bad guy. I thought there was enough humor, enough action. I was amazed. I was pleasantly surprised. I liked the movie a lot. Um, I I thought it was sort of on par with the first Captain America, the first Thor in terms of an origin story, and it had the toughest road to hoe because you got to explain some complicated things in a way to right. keep people engaged. And I think that it did that. Um, the end kind of came suddenly to me. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, although looking at its opening numbers, that's not many. Yeah. They did a very, because there was a lot of talk, well, hey, his main villain's not in the film. I don't want to spoil it. They do a really good job of working him into the plot, all right, at the end. Yes. Special effects in the way that that is done, I think, is tremendous. The special effects are unlike anything I've I, ever I seen. I agree. It's, it's, pardon the pun, a marvel. Uh, what I really liked oh, is Scott Derrickson, weak. who I've interviewed before. Scott Derrickson's one of the few really out Christians in Hollywood. Uh, did a phenomenal Christian horror film several years ago. Mike, you'll remember The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Remember yes, that? Yes, okay. And what I liked about this is, is this is very occult-laden subject matter, but you can see where he weaved some Christian themes into this. Self-sacrifice, yeah. that we're not material beings, right? Um, that we have to think eternally. I like the way that he weaves some of those things in there. But um, if your kids aren't aware or too young to understand what it, that this stuff's not real, like if they might take a Harry Potter too seriously, from a worldview standpoint, if you're a parent, keep that in mind. If they're old enough to know that this stuff is fake, like Gandalf's not really a wizard and things of that nature, what? then I think there's some other... You never know. 
I mean, this occult stuff has its own subculture oh. nowadays where oh, people I like, really believe this stuff. I know. You know? So, I, but I agree. I think it was really well done. How many mushroom clouds? Uh, I'm going to give it four, maybe even four and a half. I could go four. I think four and a half. Given where, you, given the take your the, questionable judgment earlier in this segment on Hacksaw Ridge, let's not go crazy. Take the half that you gave Hacksaw Ridge that you shouldn't have, and give it to Doctor Strange. I would actually tell you to do that, <laughs> and then we'll split the difference. More with Mike Woody in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Putting the fun back in Fundamentalist, The Steve Day Show. All right, back here quickly again with Mike Woody taking us to the movies. Mike was wrong on Hacksaw Ridge, mostly right on Doctor Strange. Let's quickly get this Swedish film nobody right. cares about out of the way. It's called A Man Called Ove. It's based on an extremely, I think the book is still on the bestseller list and has been for a long time. I, I knew nothing about it except that it was a charming film, allegedly, and it was playing on election night and it saved me from having to sit through that. It is about this grumpy old guy whose wife has passed away. He's really pretty much tired of his time on the planet, and he's ready to check out. And he is brought back to life, if you will, in his life, um, by some crazy, obnoxious neighbors that refuse to let him stay at home and, and be grumpy. It is a just. It is a touching film. It's sad, but it's but it's funny. There's great humor in the film because he's this grumpy guy. And I'm telling you, if you put your bike on the street, he's going to pick it up and throw it in the trash can. So it's just, if you can find this film, go see it. It's really charming. Is it in Swedish? It is in Swedish, but they do translate it for you, Steve, so you can read it. I know how you, you know, I like a big reading, fan you know, of You know, I like films. reading them movies. You know, I like that. Yeah. I like my grammar, too, when I say reading them movies. All right. So, Mike, what's new on demand? On demand, Steve, you don't want to know. There's one major release this week, and it's um, called Sausage Party. I don't even know. I, what that, I, I don't even know what that is. It's an animated film. Oh, it's terrible. It's the one from the Sign of the Apocalypse, uh, where every, all the uh, leftist feminists yeah. were offended because uh, there was like a lesbian taco, and it was supposed to be bisexual. You remember that? Seth Rogen. Strangely, yeah. no. <laughs> You went wow. to therapy for that. <laughs> yes, I, I think I, I think I did the uh, the act of contrition after you did that uh, uh, that 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 sign of the apocalypse. That I, way, you know what? I don't mind a funny, raunchy film. This was just this was too over the top for me. Seth Rogen is the most overrated force. In I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, so that's it. Nothing else. Nothing. No. Nothing. It's nothing. been terrible, Steve. Nothing. I'm, nothing else is out. I want to see a good movie at home. I, it's very challenging at the moment. Nothing else is out. Nothing. Steve, this is like the big movie season in the theaters, so they don't release stuff on home video, now called On Demand, I've been told by the... Uh, consultants. Consultants. <laughs> uh, I did see Lights Out On Demand. Yeah. Because that's like the highest rated horror film of the year. Yep. It's okay. Maybe you, in the theater it would have had yeah, more Yeah, I was going to say, you watched a horror film at home. Okay. It's, it's okay. Okay. You know, I thought it was okay, you know, it didn't, but it didn't, it you know, was didn't really grab my attention. It was really scary in the theater. All right. And, and there is a lot to that, because you're feeding off the energy from the other people in the theater and things of that nature. But you came awful close to saying I was right. I've said you were right before when you are. It's just rare. It's not that, it's not that I'm, I'm unwilling to say that you're right, Mike. It's just that you're rarely right. That's so the issue. 
Next week, we're going to talk in full about <laughs> Arrival. Okay. I'll try to get to see it before Friday. Boy, let me tell you. Bring your brain, because you've got to, I mean, it's, you've got to think. Well, after, after how bad my election predictions were, I'm starting to wonder if I still have one of those. So I'll see if I can find it in time check to it, go. Check in the freezer. All right, Mike, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. All right, we'll come back. The Dace Group is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. It's Friday, Hour 2. You know what that means. With a tip of the cap. And an homage to the late, great John McLaughlin, who gave us the McLaughlin Group for so many years. This is the Dace Group, your weekly look at the week that was. Let's get to issue one. It's happening, guys. At 7.05 p.m. Eastern Time on election night, Donald Trump won the states of Kentucky and Indiana, his first of the evening, and not a surprise. At 2.30 Eastern Time the next morning, with one of Donald Trump's many surprises of the night, he won Wisconsin, and with it, the Electoral College and the White House. After initial reports that Hillary Clinton would wait till more votes were counted to concede, this happened. I've just received a call from Secretary Clinton. She congratulated us. It's about us. On our victory. And the next morning, Clinton ended up giving her concession speech as well. This is not the outcome we wanted or we worked so hard for. And I'm sorry that we did not win this election for the values we share and the vision we hold for our country. And President Obama discussed his thoughts on the election and the road forward. Now, it is no secret that the president-elect and I have some pretty significant differences. But remember, eight years ago, President Bush and I had some pretty significant differences. But President Bush's team could not have been more professional or more gracious in making sure we had a smooth transition so that we could hit the ground running. So I have instructed my team to follow the example that President Bush's team set eight years ago and work as hard as we can to make sure that this is a successful transition for the president-elect. One of the biggest surprises in U.S. election history, Clinton is poised to win the popular vote, but lose the Electoral College. It's the fourth time in the history of the Electoral College that it's happened, and the first time since 2000. 
Donald Trump will be the first person to assume the office of the presidency who hadn't held elected office since Dwight Eisenhower did it 64 years ago. Despite being within the margin of error in most states, Ohio being one major exception, many believe the polling industry is due for a revamp, as most major polls and averages had Clinton winning the election by an ample margin. First question, what in your mind was the biggest overall mistake amongst the prognosticators and the pollsters? And I say this, I just want to clarify what we heard in the intro. The pollsters really weren't that wrong. I mean, the, the real clear politics margin had her at, what, plus two? She's winning the popular vote right now by 1.5. Mm-hmm. That's even more accurate than it was in 2012, guys. Most of the states were within the margin for error. I mean, Wisconsin was decided by 25,000 votes. Michigan by 15,000 votes when 100,000 people voted but didn't vote for president at all. Four of the state, the four states that put Trump over the top were, were decided by 1.4 points. So within the MOE, the polling was actually right. What was wrong was the prognosticators who looked at these edges and said, we'll see what we saw in 2012 where Hillary's get out the vote operation will make up the difference on election day like it did for Obama. That is what did not materialize. So the forecast models, the prognosticating models, the people that do what I, well, that's part of my job, we're the ones that were wrong. But the polling industry, let's make sure, you know, there's going to be enough people that blew this election. The polling industry didn't blow it. They were were actually, if we go back and look at the data now that we saw four or five days ago, we should have seen the warning signs of this. So I I just want to clarify that. But, But what was the biggest overall mistake that we made about this election, Kim? Well, I want to go back to the polling industry first. Um, one of the things, there's only a couple that actually got it right. Investor Business Daily and this other one I can't remember. But um, one of the questions that they would ask people was they realized that the environment was very toxic and nobody really wanted to say they were for Trump. And so what they ended up doing, these pollsters would say, who are your neighbors supporting? And then they were able to flush out that there was actually a lot more support out there than people really thought. Nationwide, the so-called secret Trump vote ended up being about one to three points. Not much, but when an election is this close, that one to three points is significant. Right. So again, the pollsters didn't really miss that. They really didn't miss that. Her get-out-the-vote operation just didn't live up to what it was supposed to do. And, though, that doesn't mean the Trump team, Todd, doesn't get any credit. Their strategy all along, although at times it sacrificed the suburban voters with his, with his style of, 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 of charisma, but their strategy all along was to look at those Rust Belt states where, where you have a lot of lower-income and middle-class white voters that have lost their jobs under progressive economic policies and to concoct a message that drove them out to the polls and got those people who elected Obama or didn't vote the last two elections and got them out to the polls. They, that strategy was panned by a lot of the smart set in the GOP that said those voters don't exist, you can't win. The Trump team, where they get credit is, yeah, Hillary was a bad candidate and her get-out-the-vote operation and she took too many states for granted and that probably decided the election. But the Trump team's strategy had to be successful to put them in position to take advantage of Hillary's mistakes. Yes or no? Oh, that's undeniable. But let's let's talk about that smart set. Having worked at the uh, Des Moines Register for 12 years, I know how they think. That group either didn't know or didn't care, and each one is both uh, equally as likely, how much they are loathed and hated. This isn't just about Hil- Hillary and the press go hand in hand. They are the big they. They are the group that people are disgusted by. The, the news of this is that 7 million fewer people turned out to vote for Hillary Clinton than Barack Obama. 
because of the, the, the stink of it all has even passed on to those who we thought in this room were, were the cult that would show up and vote for anything in, in, in the name of what, uh, what they believe in. And even they are tired of this on some level. So that's where this is. They, the, the loathing that people collectively have for everything that the left has turned this political discussion into. What do you think, Aaron? I think one thing um, that maybe has gone under the radar a little bit is just how hard it is for one political party to win three elections or three presidential elections in a row. I think um, at large, of course, with this president, as so many people were, there was a lot of outrage and there was a lot of uh, anger in the electorate. Uh, but I think generally it just it seems like human nature as we live in a uh, a government that has a democratic process to select its leaders. I think people just generally get tired of the same people, and I think that could have played into it as well, even though that there was, uh, this was a very low turnout uh, election, uh, fairly low turnout election, and uh, there was, like I said, a lot of anger. But I think the uh, I think what, what I just said, uh, people get tired of the same thing. Can I add something else? In you there? bet, Kim. Go ahead. Um, one of the other things is that some of those prognosticators are so arrogant, and you touched on that, the arrogance of that, the arrogance of the message. Um, and, you know, just making out that anybody who would vote for Trump are racist, sexist, you know, xenophobic. Um, the other thing is they didn't factor, factor in the Electoral College when they were doing these these um, guesses. In credit, Nate Silver, who wrote a week ago that there was at least a 30% chance, mm-hmm. the way the country was trending, that we were going to see Hillary Clinton win the popular vote and Trump win the Electoral College. So there College. you go. So yeah. just very few people did that. And then the other thing is, um, I think people are starting to talk about the surge of the late deciders. And I think that's interesting about what happened in Wisconsin, Michigan, and um, you know Pennsylvania. So those are some other factors. I-, I will tell you where I got it wrong, because I'm part of that industry now, too, that does data modeling and some of those things with what we do here on our show. Where I got it wrong is I went back to my own archives of a column, and I put it up on Facebook earlier today, to a column I wrote for the Washington Times after the 2014 election. And if if I had remembered that piece, I might have looked at this a lot differently uh, for the last few weeks, because uh, in, in, in terms of Hillary's inability to pull away, even after all three of his debate performances were panned, his numbers went down, it depressed his base... If I had looked at what, how badly they performed with whites, and there's a paragraph I wrote in that piece, and we talked about it earlier tonight, where I use my own mom, who's a lifetime Democrat, and she's sick of being told that if you think taxes are too high, you're a racist. If you think that too many people on, more people on food stamps and the population of Spain is bad, you're a racist. I think people are just freaking sick of this stuff. I, I mean, I think 80% of America's just, including a lot of people that ended up voting for Hillary, are just tired of this, tired of it. And I think you saw the rubber band. They have stretched the rubber band and stretched it so much the last eight years under Obama. I think the rubber band finally, on Tuesday, I think it snapped back. Exit question on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being a nothing burger when it's all said and done, and 10 being a cataclysmic event. How much will Trump's election truly transform America, Kim? Eight, either good or ill. Three. Five. The answer is at least a six. The only question is will it will be whether it will be for the better, along the lines of what you were talking about, Kim. The curtain falls on the Clintons next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Issue two. The curtain falls on the Clintons. The Clinton family has been a force in American politics for decades. Since Bill and Hillary Clinton married in 1975, it's clear both of them had high ambitions for themselves. And now, after a career as a politician, both appointed and elected, that seemed to be set up precisely for the moment Tuesday night was supposed to be, it appears the Clinton dynasty may just be over. From stand by your man to what difference does it make to her basket of deplorables comment earlier in the campaign, Hillary Clinton has been through more and has done more than the average politician. And yet over time, the scandals, the mistakes, and generally unlikable persona Hillary Clinton coddled finally caught up to her, and she was upset by what could be the most disliked president-elect since favorability ratings were developed. With Bill at 70 years old and Hillary at 69, will not likely see them in office ever again. Their daughter Chelsea, however, hasn't ruled out a career in politics. But for now, at least we know there's not going to be another Clinton in the White House anytime soon. First question, did Hillary Clinton, in your view, make a fatal mistake during her campaign? Or was her mistake really that she was just bad, uh, that bad as a candidate? I ask you, Todd. All of her fatal mistakes and there have been many came before this election you know she how many times during a long period of time there steve do we talk about where is hillary clinton we're not talking about her they're hiding under a rock they were just letting donald trump do his thing and many of us with good reason because as you said the the polling was within the margin of error uh she almost got away with that there were times early on the one that many people have forgotten and the press obviously didn't care i mean they are stepford children as far as she's concerned but when she roped off the press you know a lot of people even on the left that's what you know this is around the time that people are thinking you know what I know Bernie's kind of crazy and, you know, 74 and not exactly fits the identity group politics that we worship at. But hell no on Hillary. So uh, there were little things like that. But there was not any one. I mean, listen, let's face it. Donald Trump had more colossal failures than she did in terms of the specifics of this campaign. She just has a legacy that was choking. I think. So a point that some people that I know that are friends of mine that supported Trump, even during all the videos that came out and everything else, along the lines of what Todd just said, Kim, they said, here's the difference in our view between Trump and Hillary, is that the, the, the bad things about Trump have largely hurt Trump or the people around him. The bad things about the Clintons hurt the rest of us. And I think in the end, that was, that was the water that reached its level for a sizable portion of the electorate. Well, I can see I can see that um, other than the fact that, you know, Trump hasn't actually gone into public office so that he didn't have the opportunity to hurt the rest of us. So and he has that opportunity. Now. Exactly. <laughs> so he I has the opportunity know. to help us, too. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see what he does. Um, I think that you're absolutely right. Her heirs were before. I mean, if you think of Benghazi, you think of the emails, the Clinton Foundation, all those things. And then they hid or they tried to insulate her from those things. Um you know, some of her mistakes then are, are just the Comey stuff coming up at the last couple of weeks. Things out of her control that I think actually helped Donald Trump, like the Obamacare um, premiums going up and the, everyone receives that in the mail two weeks before election. So um, 
30 years of having her in there, people know who she she is, and they rejected her. Simple. I, th- I think looking back on this, and I would agree with both of your analysis, uh, Todd and Kim, that uh, these mistakes were largely made before she was a candidate in this campaign. Uh, I, I would also add that uh, our, our attention spans as Americans are incredibly short. And for the most part, I would say things that happened years ago, generally people will forget about. Maybe they'll have in their periphery. I think it just goes to show that these mistakes that she made were, one, so bad that she couldn't overcome the uh, – she couldn't even come uh, overcome uh, Americans' uh, short attention spans. And, two, I think on top of all of this, she just is a bad candidate because she's not likable at all. There's no warmth there. There's no excuse for people to actually want to like her unless they're just totally sold out uh, to her ideology. So I think it's a combination of those two, just how bad those mistakes were and the fact that she is just a, a bad candidate. Let's take a balanced view of this, though. The Clintons have played, for better or for worse, they have played a major role in shaping the political landscape for most of my, since I've been at voting age, all of Aaron's life. I would say the second term of Bill Clinton, greatly aided, of course, by a Republican Congress holding his feet to the fire, not to mention Clinton's um, Machiavellian pragmatism. I would say the second term of Bill Clinton was the best conservative government we've had since Ronald Reagan's first term. Yes, they did not. They like to say they shrunk the debt. They did not. But they did pass balanced budgets, meaning that the cash flow at the time was balanced. We hadn't done that in how long. That was the last time we've seen growth in middle class wages. They passed the Defense of Marriage Act. We had one of the first major roll, maybe one of the only major rollbacks of government in our lifetimes with the welfare reform bill, right? These are things that all happened on the second term of Bill Clinton. So I think that, you know, we should we, we should take a balanced view. And then there's the stuff they did that we don't like, obviously. But they still had a huge impact. They took the Democratic Party, which was struggling with how to message itself after the progressives took over the party following the McGovern losses. And, and, they, and, they, kept, and they, he, they taught them how to run with a winning message while still remaining true to their progressive roots. And I think that that is something that, uh, you know, we should look at the fact that there's only 45 people ever that have reached the office of the presidency, the most powerful office not in Rome at the Vatican in all of this planet. And Bill Clinton is one of them. And he wouldn't have gotten there without Hillary. In my view, I think, I think the two characters in House of Cards are caricatures of the Clintons. And I think you saw that play out in this election. Bill Clinton is not as ruthless. You know, Francis Underwood is ruthless, but he's not as cunning as Claire is. Claire, behind the scenes, she's the cutthroat one. She's the cunning one. She's the one that holds grudges. She's the one that keeps the scorecard. Francis is, Frank Underwood is the guy, he doesn't care if you hated him yesterday, if you can work with him today. That's Bill Clinton. But Claire, so so Frank wasn't going to get where he needed to go without Claire. But whenever Claire on the show steps out on her own, what happens? Her need, she, she can't work with people she doesn't like. She needs you to validate her. She needs you to recognize her greatness. And you see this in Hillary Clinton. How, she made Bill Clinton greater than he was. But when she stepped out on her own, her need to be recognized and validated as, as an independently powerful force was eventually her undoing. I mean, look at the grace she showed in her, in her, in her concession speech the other day. Did we see that at all? This entire campaign, not even in her convention speech, was her, which was her ultimate affirmation. It still looked like she delivered that speech through gritted teeth, Todd. You, you are describing the Achilles heel of, of 
progressives in general. Though you'll remember uh, and the appeal of Bill Clinton, charming, well-spoken, smart Southern boy who chaired, if you're the DLC, the Democratic, the Democratic Leadership League, Conference, a conservative right. brand, their of, version of conservative, their conservative yeah. yeah, but a conservative brand of liberalism. I submit to you, had he been, and we know Whitewater that was going on, but if just if he had really been that. George Bush would have never been president. We wouldn't be talking about Donald Trump. I think we would have been on our fourth Democrat, you know, Democrat president uh, by now because of the, the the general trend of the culture to be more culturally liberal. But we can count on them and not being able to help themselves, as you just said. Exit question: Is this the end of the Bush Clinton dynasties, Kim? Ooh, Bush Clinton, um, Clinton for sure. Um, Bush, they still have some in the wings. Locusts never die. No. No, Chelsea Clinton's going to win elected office at some point. The answer is no. The Clintons are done, but we're in for more Bush. We'll come back. Have we seen a political realignment or not? Stay tuned. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review, your weekly look at the week that was. Issue three, realignment or just really bad candidates. Many watched their TVs election night wondering if we were witnessing another Reagan-style political realignment in the United States. Why? Well, there were some extremely surprising results, like the fact that even though larger Hispanic turnout was expected and that came true... If exit polling from Edison Research is also true, Donald Trump actually did better with Hispanic voters than Mitt Romney did in 2012. He also did two points better with blacks and three points better with Asians than Romney did, too. Trump also won the Catholic vote by seven points. It's the first time a Republican has won that group of voters since George Bush did it in 2004. And by the time the data is compiled, Trump may end up setting records in terms of turnout and percentage won among white evangelical voters. But despite all of the surprising numbers, it's possible this election could be a one-off. Initial turnout numbers from the United States Election Project indicate nearly half the population of the United States didn't vote. And while not being a record low, 53% voter turnout is still one of the lower numbers, indicating that perhaps the surprising demographics and how they voted were a result of apathy towards the candidates and less to do with the excitement to what either brought to the table. What, if anything... Kim, you get the first question in this segment. What, if anything, can the Republican Party do to build upon some of the surprising demographic shifts this cycle? Meaning the, the, the herd, which we saw hints of in the primary, of, of rural and working class Democrats that came over and became Republicans this cycle. He did get, he's going to get more minority voters. Now, it's not a lot, but he's going to get more minority voters than Mitt Romney did. His, in the end, his percentages of blacks and Hispanics, it's a little bit more optimistic than the initial exit polls were yesterday. So he's probably going to be close to where McCain was in 2008. Okay, so what, what if anything, can the Republican Party do to build upon this? Or do you agree with what was discussed in Aaron's intro? This was kind of a one-off. What say you? Um, they have a real opportunity right now. Um, I would say stand and deliver. I mean, they have got to recognize the the fact that real earnings have not increased since the time of Obama being in office. They have to realize that people are suffering in the inner cities that have been ignored by the Democrats and the Republicans, to be honest. Um, that real unemployment is 10%, not 4.9%. So they have to reduce the burdens um, on the taxpayer. And then 
that is what will um, make this a realignment that can last longer than the four years. There needs to be a secular version of Matthew 28, go forth to all the world. They need to get out there and meet people where they're and talk about and don't send out Reince Priebus dweebs, I'm here from the government and I want to help. There are people in this world that are tatted up or uh, different colors that normally check the Republican box that are fantastic mouthpieces for our brand. Find out who they are, empower them as you see fit to go out and do this. And keep Reince Priebus and his ilk as far away as possible because nobody anywhere except the betas <laughs> want to be a part of what he's selling. That's so true. Uh, I totally, Aaron? totally agreed. I, I think one of the first things you have to do, and I would posit this, that um, with with the surprising result we saw on election night, I, I think the whole hope and change narrative that Obama brought with him back in 2008, I think that is completely blown, out, uh, blown up right now. I mean, he said it himself. This election was going to be a referendum on his legacy. So uh, amidst this void, something has to fill is that. Is it, though? Today he is sitting in a 58% approval. Yeah, but He's going to leave office what, yeah, more what, popular than Bill Clinton was, more popular than George W. Bush was. See, He's going to leave office with a near Reagan approval rating. And that's why you forgot that column you talked about two years ago. Because why you couldn't of, have because, known? Look at that. that. Why indicator. did any, Yes, why would have I well, and a good, that? Well, and a buddy of mine, Matt Makoviak, who's a GOP consultant, tweeted about this earlier, said three things. Number one, enthusiasm isn't transferable. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so yes, Reagan could set a stage for George Herbert Walker Bush in '88, and they tried to run that '88 game plan. We talked about that, but in the end, he captured. He could find a message that captured that opening. She could not, and maybe she was just too inherently weak to do so. Number two, Obama was a good candidate, obviously, because a whole bunch of people that voted for him twice just didn't. And number three, Hillary was an awful candidate, which I think goes back to number one that enthusiasm isn't automatically transferable. Aaron, finish your point. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. And I asked you the same thing on election night, or something, something similar after we were off the air on election night uh, about why he was so uh, favorable, but yet um, a lot of the people who, you know, didn't uh, or who voted for him didn't vote for him this time around. I, I think all there is, I think one thing that is sure is that there's a lot of chaos right now, and there's going to continue to be a lot of chaos. And that gives you an opportunity to actually develop and uh, permeate a, uh, a transcendent message. So my point is you need to go, like Todd, kind of like what Todd was saying, you need to go to some of the places that have not traditionally been Republican strongholds. Well, and you have that opening now based yeah. on this vote. Exit question, will the Democrats ever nominate a white male presidential candidate again in our lifetimes? Kim? Yes, Joe Kennedy. Yes, but he'll be saying he's purple and transgender. Hell no. Uh, the answer is no, unless Todd's correct, that he's sexually confused somehow. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back with more of the Dace Group Roundtable here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review, Issue 4. The first hundred days. Donald Trump and his administration will have their hands full if they intend to keep the promises the president-elect made on the campaign trail. At the end of October, Trump spoke in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and laid out his plans for the first 100 days of his presidency. Those plans included a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress, a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce federal workforce through attrition, exempting the military, public safety, and public health workers. 
workers, a requirement for every new federal regulation. Two existing regulations must be eliminated. A five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave the government. A lifetime ban on White House officials lobbying on behalf of foreign government. A complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. Intention to renegotiate NAFTA or withdraw from the deal under Article 2205. Withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Directing the Secretary of the Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. Directing the Secretary of Commerce and the U.S. Trade Representative to identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers. Lifting the restriction on the production of $50 trillion worth of job-producing American energy reserves. Lifting the Obama-Clinton roadblocks and allow vital energy infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline to move forward. Beginning the process of selecting a replacement for Justice Scalia. Canceling all federal funding to sanctuary cities. Suspending immigration from terror-prone regions where vetting cannot safely occur. Tax relief. Ending the Offshoring Act. Ending Common Core. Repealing and replacing Obamacare. Beginning construction of a wall on the southern border. And many, many more items. It's clear that if he's able to accomplish just half of that with a Republican Congress... The people who sent him there will be very, very happy. First question, what is the main thing or are the main things the Republican Congress and this Republican president need to accomplish in these first 100 days to engage their base, mitigate any angst that, uh, you know, in the end, maybe these guys are going to sell us out again and disappoint us like they have so many times? I ask you, Todd. I don't know how original I'm going to be on this. Obviously, on the court, you need to put a judge forward that's going to make Scalia look like a leftist. Then you need to start with uh, Obamacare. Like literally, when the name is announced at the at the Rose Garden, there is there is there's people cutting themselves yes. at, at, at Cal Berkeley, Haight Ashbury, yes. and every Ivy League school in America. That's what you're talking about. Bingo. Yeah. And then uh, along with getting rid of Obamacare and uh, all of the regulations, you need to put the the people who voted for him uh, and people who didn't, quite frankly, or skeptical, on the fast track to realizing the returns in terms of dollars in their pocket, both individuals and uh, businesses getting rid of all those regulations. Do you remember Donald Trump, excuse me, uh, President Obama did the slow roll on Obamacare because he wanted the financial impact and he didn't control that as well as he wanted to, but to some extent the the financial burden of Obama delayed it in terms of its implication. Donald Trump cannot do that. He needs to expedite things so that as soon as possible, people are looking, just like you say with uh, uh, having to pay your taxes, same thing. All of a sudden, I voted for Donald Trump six months in. I have more spending power to do what I want to with my life. Kim, I want to say to middle-class listeners, and I, I'm a, I grew up a middle-class kid. I'm a small business owner. I own my own show. I own my own media company that contracts with the with Conservative Review in Salem to provide them content. So I see this as a small business owner as well. But and, and I've long advocated, and you've heard me advocate this for years, that the Republican Party move away from a Wall Street party into more of a small business, middle class driven party, more of a Jeffersonian model, if you will. Yeah. The things Todd talked about, those could be done right away, or at least fairly shortly, and those would greatly improve the plight of the middle class. But I do think people have to recognize that it's not 1958. It's 2016. 
Pittsburgh doesn't want to be the steel city anymore. It wants to be the Google city, the Amazon city. Some of these manufacturing jobs, people don't want to. The reason they go to Walmart and Target is they don't want to pay 10 bucks for a pack of underwear, okay? And 5 bucks for a gallon of milk. You know where I'm going with this. That, this is why they go to these big box stores. There are just some, the, the, the economy has evolved in some ways. That the, some of these jobs, if not many of them, are not coming back. That doesn't mean, though, that a lot of things in terms of regulation help small businesses like my own company here that they want to get involved in innovative technologies and other areas that are growing where they can hire more workers. That doesn't mean that those regulations can't help those. But I think I, I want to make sure that some of our listeners that might live in some of these rural areas, want to, no matter what they may think, this is not going to be – there's never again going to be a country where you go to high school, marry your sweetheart, and go work down the, down, the, down the road at the mill and make a nice living and send your kids to college. That era is gone. It's not coming back. Right. And, you know, you, you think also about what happened with the coal industry, right? It's down 50% that's in the production. Last, that's the last vestige of that economy I'm talking well, about. Well, right. And, and part of it, too, is – Now, is, that can by, – by, pardon me. That can be saved because they're creating a – they're mining a commodity that we need both well, for our own economy and our own national security, and, and frankly. the same thing is true with the oil. With right. The, yes. The back in, uh, but, you know – Yes. But, but I, the, part ahead. of the reason for that is just that natural, natural gas is so cheap right now. Mm-hmm. So um, the industry might not be up to what it was um, before Obama got in there, but it still has a, a place in our economy. Um, the other thing, along with what Todd was saying, I would say focusing, he's going to have to focus on education and what is going on in the education system. I think that would be another thing to do within that first I thought Marco Rubio days. during the primary had a lot of good things to say about not everybody needs to go to college. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of skilled training. I mean, think about if this was 30 years ago, and I went to, in, at, at the dawn of the computer industry, and I went, and, and if I got involved in programming and fixing computers, I could make a really nice living having, having gone to a tech or a trade school and wouldn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars of exactly. debt to get an engineering degree. That I do think we're going to need to take a look at how we can retrain and refocus people. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. And uh, I, I think the main thing is I'm going to reiterate what Todd said. Um, I'm, I'm getting to the point, too. I was estimating my taxes the other day, and it's just astronomical um, what uh, the, the percentage that they take out of, uh, of everybody's paychecks uh, if you do, you know, paycheck withholding, and so I think that's definitely the best way to go to where people will be able to look at their wallets, you know, six months, twelve months, uh, eighteen months after uh, President uh, Trump takes office, and say, "Hey, I can do this. I can go there. I can buy this. I can start my own business. I can enrich myself more." That's the fastest way. That's the fastest way to prove that this is not just some flash in the pan type of guy. Todd, you want to get on this at all since we sort of uh, double back? Actually, we got to go. Sorry about that, Todd. Exit question on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being pitch black despair, 10 being joygasmic nirvana. How hopeful, if at all, should conservatives be about the results of this election when it comes to actually governing? Kim? Five. Six. 5.5. The answer's five, but it could be higher or lower a year from now. Predictions are next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. So you guys know the drill. We spend most of this hour taking a look at the week back, but we now close it out by taking a look ahead 
And I, I expect some people to come strong with predictions. No name mentioned Kim and Aaron. That was a weak effort last week. I, I've already weak. flushed it. I've, I've already moved on with my life. Weak effort. <laughs> All right. So, Kim, you're up. Yes, all Go good. Ahead. So, um, when we did the scale of 1 to 10, how optimistic should we be? And I was cautiously optimistic at 5. You know, you have to be eternally vigilant. So, I started thinking, what is the first issue that's going to be thrown under the bus with the Trump presidency? And I am predicting it's going to be pro-life because it's going to be the Planned Parenthood does good things. Well, I've already gotten numerous emails from people that have sh- that have emailed me and said, "Hey, notice the pro life thing has been scrubbed off his website." Well, I don't visit Candidate Payne's website like ever, so I don't know if that's true. But I've had numerous people send me that e- email, and it would not be the first time. But this is this is again where those Christian conservative leaders who turned out more religious voters for Trump than we have ever seen, when you look at the margins he had of both Catholics and white evangelicals, this is where they need to come forward and say, hey, you won four states by 1.4 points or less. You would not be here if we had not bled every ounce of voters out of those pews into the polls. You owe us. That's their job. They need to do that. Yes, they do. Todd. When it comes to Ferguson's, Baltimore's, University of Missouri's, and having more or less uh, things like that happen, bet the over and bet it hard in the next two years. <laughs> oh. uh, Todd uh. has been a wet blanket here all week. I've had a hitch in my giddy up only because I'm just glad this thing is over. And I'm, I've, I'm just tired of arguing with a lot of the friends I've argued with for the last few months. I just feel like this... This load has been drifted off my shoulders until Todd talks, I, and he places it back on every single but time. You agreed with the, the you agreed with my analogy. It feels, he is right. It feels like the quarter of my quarterback of my team is a drunken Johnny Manziel. That's what we got. And you, As, but which one though? Is he wearing the A and M jersey, or is he wearing well, the Cleveland Browns jersey? That's it. But he's still drunk either okay. way. Uh, my guess is he'll wear them both. He'll start off winning Heisman trophies and doing well, and then after time, the character issues begin to manifest themselves. But that's why that. Why do you think I keep saying to everybody, get what you want to get right now. Get it now. Get it this year. Go ahead, Aaron. Reince Priebus uh, will end up working in the White House, but he will not have any position of prominence because he is a beta, and Trump knows betas when he sees them, I think. Uh, Carly, oh, Fe- I know Donald. I know Donald Trump. Carly- but there's one thing he's got a nose for. It's sniffing betas. out betas. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, uh, what is one? Th- what, what's one thing that uh, alphas uh, respect? Power. And uh, Reince doesn't have really much of that. Uh, and then uh, Carly Fiorina will replace him, heading up the RNC. I think she'd be tremendous in that role. And I'm say that as somebody who wasn't a huge fan of her as a presidential candidate, but I think she would crush that. Uh, my prediction. Two Big Ten teams will make the college football playoff. Michigan will lose a close game to Ohio State at the end of the year. Ohio State will go on to win the Big Ten championship. Washington will lose to either USC or Washington State at the end of the year. And two Big Ten teams will make it, both the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. Back with Hour 3 in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign. 
king in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here at the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, I'm taking a bit of a long post-election weekend. I'll be back on Wednesday. The rest of the team here, though... We'll be holding down the fort in my stead, so you'll be in more than capable hands. Also, don't forget, it's a Feedback Friday, so we want to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's how you can email us, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Day Show. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. That time of the night when our producer, Aaron, he gets to set the agenda around here by asking three questions about any three things. Nothing is off limits, but he has to answer the same questions that he asks of us. Aaron, you're up. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Question one, will Obama be willing to fade into the background after leaving office? Yes and no. Um, I I do think he's he's really the first dyed-in-the-wool progressive, not progressive leaner, but I mean generation progressive president we have had. And progressivism inherently promotes a self, a, a value of self. A high, a high value on self-actualization, for example, and so there's a there's a there's a thread of narcissism, therefore that's just that's that's just inherent to it. I mean, they, they just they can't help but contain and pollute the environment that they're in because they just believe so much in the rightness of their own cause, and that you should be you should be made to care to believe it as well. So that being said, I think no, he will not go gently into that good night. But guys, I also don't think he's going to be an omnipresent force either. Um, I think it'll be somewhere in in the middle. Um, I think we'll see him more around, particularly given the the paucity of leaders the Democrats have at their disposal, which is why their top two candidates were a seventy year old woman and a seventy five year old guy. Okay, but uh, but so I think that he's going to still be a, a powerful force on their on their ledger. But I also don't think he's going to be somebody that's going to be around Monday morning quarterbacking all the time. At least not at first. I, I could see that becoming an issue if 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 Trump is serious. If we go twelve months from now or sixteen months from now, and Trump and the Republicans are serious about rolling his initiatives back, then I could see him, Todd, assert himself all the more in order to try and encourage Democrats to rally candidates for the congressional election. This is going to be purely about uh, self-interest with him, whatever he needs to do to preserve, to redirect, to claim his legacy. That's what he's going to do, like which many of us would. So on the one hand, I, I understand, you know, he, pre, he believes in what he believes in, and he's going to continue uh, to fight for that. Uh, he also likes golf a lot. We learned that while he was in the White House. So I don't think this is a guy who's not who's not going to just go off and do some things and relax, like you said, at least at the start, Well, Steve. I think the golf thing is a good point. I mean, listen, listen is a good look point. how much leisure time he took when he, when he had power to do what he yeah. wants. The idea that he's just going to work 70 hours right. a day when no. he doesn't have power, I think that's a little hard to believe. Yeah. But on the other hand, he's going to be way more involved, isn't he? We're going to know about what he thinks about things more than we know about W, that's for sure. Oh, I mean, I w agree, w yeah. just went away. Yeah. You know, and 
because government is something more to him than it is to me. I mean, to him, it's a it's a it's an object of worship, mm-hmm. and uh, and the fact that you know, I think that once you're a community organizer, you're always a community organizer. Yeah. You're always looking for those things, those highs, and um, there will be a need for him to mentor the farm team. So uh, he'll be involved in some way. I think when we get into the heart of the 2018 midterms, he will be on the campaign trail. Him and Michelle both will be. Yes, uh, they will be on the campaign trail. They will be speaking and raising money for a lot of Democratic candidates. I don't think there's any question about that. I'm still holding out. I I think he's going to be U.N. Secretary General because I think the people, the globalist elitists at the U.N. would be gung-ho to have an American. That'd be huge. So I can get get another batch, another year's worth of Nikolai Carpathia emails from some of our listeners. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, no, I think they'd be gung-ho to have an American so long as that American hates America. So that's why. Bingo. Yeah. Question two, name a chick flick you secretly like. Shakespeare in Love. Took my wife to see that. Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm dead serious. Kim is ashamed. But uh, Shakespeare in Love, I I thought at the time, and I've had this opinion. I know it's hashtag confess your unpopular opinions. It was a big controversy when Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. But having seen them both, I thought Shakespeare in Love was the better movie. Wow. I was shocked how much I liked that movie. I thought it was a tremendous film. Yeah. So there's, that's like my one token chick flick gesture. And The Notebook, that would be the other one. The Notebook was actually a really good movie. Yeah. Wow, he's saying this out loud, folks. <laughs> I'm responding to a question. Your turn. <laughs> the rules, Todd. Oh, well, my wife loves, 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 loves it. So I've seen it quite a few loves times. Loves what? You, 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 what? No, she loves, 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 loves this. So, oh, okay. So thus, I've seen it a few times, and it is great. I thought you were trying to... Like, that one so you didn't have to say it no, out loud. No, no, no. Okay. The no. new uh, uh, modern-day uh, Cinderella, it's outstanding. Oh, yeah. I didn't view that as a chick flick, though, but maybe because I took that as a daddy-daughter date with my daughters. So. Well, yeah, okay. Not in, it's, I, I, I broaden it, I guess, to something that men would not just go, hey, honey, I'm going to the movies. Okay. So. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's broader, probably. I think, I think, though, would you have taken your daughters to that for a daddy-daughter date? Oh, in a second. All right. So if it's something you would take your daughters to for daddy daughter day, that doesn't count. All right. We're talking when you take one for the team, bro, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Okay. Uh, Well, anybody else got one? You take one for the team because it's date night and you want the night to end the way that you're looking forward to. (laughs) That's what what we're talking about. So that parameter doesn't work for me. So, um, no, you you got to flip it around. Oh, that doesn't work because I love those action films. I mean, those (laughs) are her birthday. She went to play laser tag. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. No, those are my favorites. But one you would probably find unexpected is I really liked The Princess Diaries. My daughters love those movies. They've watched them like literally 300 times. See? Okay, so there's my confession there. All right. Aaron? I've always had a soft spot for uh, You've Got Mail. Uh, That's, I mean... It's a good movie. It's a good story. It's not bad, yeah. Um, You know, it's nothing too crazy. So, uh, question three. uh, Hashtag first world problems. What collection do you have that seems excessive or ridiculous to the casual observer? (laughs) Uh, I'm not much of a collector anymore. I would probably say... um I still have a fairly I, I don't collect I don't record them as often as I used to now because with YouTube all that stuff is just sitting there available online anytime you want. But for many years before the advent of, of the new technology, I had and I still own two entire photo albums worth of DVDs of old Michigan Michigan games, every Super Bowl of my life. I still do the Super Bowl. Every year, because I like to have the commercials and everything else. So I've got every Super Bowl of my lifetime. 
I've got all kinds of old Michigan games, Detroit Tiger classics. Um, I almost never watch any of that stuff at all, but um, that's probably the weirdest collection that I have. Todd? I don't, I'm not a collector at all. I'm not trying to dodge this. I, I collect nothing. I'm not a hoarder. I don't have stamps or anything like that. It, it just... You don't it have does, anything in your house that someone walks in He collects and go, daughters. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, that's awesome. Little women. That's what I collect. I, I don't. That's, I, that's I, I, I don't. But I want to go back to a chick flick. Uh, do you remember that? It, it turned into a trilogy. Ethan Hawke, Julie Delphi, the very first one before Sunrise, where they just spend a whole day courting each other oh, in Paris. Oh, I hated no. that. Well, the first one, the third one devolved into what happens when they're... Uh, they're married and they're just fighting and my wife and I turned that off in the middle. Oh, but the very first the one, first one had a, it, okay. it was a charm, young love, what yes. happens when you, do, I but, mean, where, my wife and I met at a wedding, we fell in love that night. So there, there's yes. a power there. Uh, hey, I answered it. You did. All right. Kim <laughs> yeah. collection. Oh, sure. Um, this is an old reference. I'm not like Emilda Marcos, you know, the, <laughs> the Philippine, um, First lady. We'll be out there collecting shoes by the <laughs> bushel load. Collecting yes. shoes, yeah. I have a few shoes. Some really nice pumps. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I have. I can't see you collecting pumps. Can you I guys do, see that? and oh, I have great boots. She's got to oh, remind yeah. us sometimes that, that she's that she's girly. <laughs> she has to remind us of that sometimes. Nice. I have strewn throughout my house. Um, probably about a half dozen uh, Philips Hue light bulbs. So they're the light bulbs you can control from your phone. What? And like I can come home at night after the show. Freaking millennials, man. I know. What? And it, my 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 phone will tell will you know talk to the Hue lighting system what? and tell me I've walked in and so the lights will come on and then if I'm this It's really it's really yeah. sweet. It's stupid though. I fully admit it. That's like the most millennial thing ever. Do you have a right. volleyball named Wilson that you talk to as well? What is going on? Uh, at this his, point, his name's not Wilson. At this <laughs> point, you need to just go. You need to. You need to just go to the ends of the earth with it. Get out on the streets and protest something, Aaron. All right. Uh, by I mean, the way, I need to add in uh, all three questions brought to us by Kim. Tonight. Oh, Kim came up That's with them. That's true. Those you, were Kim. good questions, Kim. Yes. Thank you. Those were good. And nice of you to come up with the questions so that you can avoid Aaron putting you on the spot with something that you would might, might have been uncomfortable with. Exactly. Well done. Thank All right, you. the nightly buzz is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Radio's version of the Red Pill. You take the Red Pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's Steve Dace. And now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about An excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guild in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the we got to get some buzz going. Yes, we do. This is the Nightly Buzz. We go back and talk about some of the stories we didn't have time to get to earlier in the show because our producer, Aaron, if you were wondering, you felt that that awkward presence over your shoulder when you were violating your not-safe-for-work uh, <laughs> firewalls there. That's, that, that sound, exactly. But you turned around, nobody was there. That's because that was Aaron wondering what you were talking about on social media or you were at that... 
water cooler, you know, gossiping with your coworker, and there was that one lingering figure, shadowy figure, off in the distance. Yeah, yeah, and, I'm not looking at you. And you pretended like uh, he pretended like, yeah, I'm not paying attention, but you knew that he listened to everything. He was, he was eavesdropping. Aaron's got those headlines. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. We're being lectured by protesters that love Trump's hate. We mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show. Well, here's what love looks like to some of them. While the president of George Mason University was busy issuing a statement upholding the school's commitment to diversity and inclusion, the senior admissions director at the public university made it clear that he believes that if you are a conservative, you are a piece of worthless trash. On his Facebook, public Facebook page, George Mason Mason University's senior assistant director of admissions, Andrew Bunting, claimed he's fearful of Donald Trump's presidency because the National Organization for Marriage, a group that believes in traditional marriage, said it is hopeful for Trump's presidency. Bunting stated uh, NOM's views are not representative of the key pillars of American society. He then added, quote, if you agree with them, then that is your opinion. Just know for the rest of us, you're a piece of worthless trash, end quote. Oh, and the uh, orange is the new black actress, Leah DeLaria, found herself in hot water after she wrote on Instagram that she wanted to, quote, unquote, take out Republicans and independents with a baseball bat. I love this love and acceptance and diversity and tolerance. It's just amazing. And don't forget the uh, the dude, the CEO of Grubhub, who said if you, if, to his employees, sent out an internal memo, if you supported Donald oh, Trump yeah. or voted for him, you might as well resign right now. Yeah. Listen, I just want to say this. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a constitutional conservative, so there's something I know a lot about. It's losing elections. All right. If I if, if there if there is something, man, that I know, join the club. We've got jackets, <laughs> chapter and verse. Yeah. If I know how it's done. It's losing elections. I'm just telling our friends on the left right now. And, and maybe you'll, hopefully you'll take it from me because I'm not a Trump shill. I'm not a Trump cultist. I don't believe in nationalism. I'm, I've, been, I've gone from skeptic to I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm hopeful enough to, to let it play itself out. But I'm not a supporter. All right. So, so I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm as an objective voice from the opposition that you will encounter. Whatever... Whatever President Obama accomplished for your movement the last eight years, you are threatening to not just roll it back, but have the country reject it for a generation with this stuff. People just don't like this. And I wish I could tell you it's because they really believe with my con- they really believe in my constitutional conservatism instead. Sadly, though, I know that's not true. But this just offends the American sensibility. They don't like it. You're hurting your movement. You're harming it. You're doing great damage to it. By all means, continue. Next story. Some concerned women are expressing a desire to essentially stockpile contraception in advance of Donald Trump's inauguration. <laughs> given the president. Never mind. Forget everything I just said. It's clear you're not going to listen. It's clear you're not going to listen. All right. What? Uh, People magazine noticed the trend uh, and described it uh, in a story. So, published so on Obama sh- sold guns. Trump's going to sell IUDs. Is that what it is? Hey. Are we? Yes. I just never mind. You know what? As you were. <laughs> Continue down the road to perdition's flame. Far be it for me to try to help you. Get in. The, I'm not going to get in the way. Knock yourself out. People magazine. Don't quoted, knock yourself up. Apparently, so yeah. don't. There you go. People magazine uh, quoted Dr. Ann Davis, a practicing uh, OBGYN and consulting medical director for a group called Physicians for Reproductive Health. She said, "Quote: People were concerned and sad in a way I've never seen. They were physically stressed." Dr. Davis received multiple calls from panicked women on Wednesday who are hoping to set up appointments to get IUDs in the coming weeks. 
worried they'll lose their health care coverage after Trump takes office. Yeah. I, I have four daughters, as we've spoken of. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell them as I raise them. You are responsible for the science of understanding where babies come from. You are responsible for your own consequences, for the consequences of your actions, whether you are a man or a woman. You are responsible if those consequences rear their heads of, at the very least, and we don't believe this as pro-life folks, but you're responsible for paying your own way as a, in general in life. And you are definitely responsible for not having killing on your rap sheet. These, these, the women in these stories recognize none of this. That's what's ridiculous. I mean, this is a, it, it, is it a punchline? We laughed about it, but when the court, no one circle. How did? How have we seen the circle? The wagons get circled post Trump. Donate to Planned Parenthood. Your right. bottom line is making sure the killing machine keeps going after this. This tells us everything we need to How know about you. How many times have you heard me say, in politics, you know who people are by the hills they're willing yes. to die on? That's true. Well said. All right, so about noon today, I can't believe it took me this long to notice, but about noon today, I noticed something was very special about today. And you know what that was? It's the first day of college basketball season. Uh, opening night going on uh, still now uh, for the 2016-17 uh, NCAA basketball uh, season. Uh, a couple matchups going on. Arizona, Michigan State, uh, it's a top 15 matchup. And uh, Kansas, Indiana, it's the start of a fascinating year. Um, By the way, don't poo-poo these games. Oh, no, I'm not. We get down to the end no, of the no, year, no, no, no. NCAA seeding comes around, and who gets in and who gets not, or who doesn't. Because of the way the RPI works, there is a high value placed on who you played and beat away from home. And you get all these big neutral site games between these big teams. Mm-hmm. Number one seeds could get decided this weekend. And, and, and who, who the last four in and the last four out. Remember a few. I remember when John Beeline broke Michigan's decade-long Ed Martin NCAA probation and uh, say tournament drought. Largely did it because in late November in the NIT, Michigan beat uh, UCLA and in in the NIT, and then a week later beat Duke in a home game. And those two non-conference games they got early in the year, which is kind of considered garbage time, ended up getting them into the NCAA tournament. I completely agree. Um, last year's Kentucky Wildcats led by Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray, uh, split the SEC championship and exited the NCAA tournament after a second-round loss to Indiana. Lexington's Power Rangers uh, are back with a few bouncy crew of freshmen. Malik Monk can fly. Uh, that resembles the dynamic incoming uh, collectives of 2010. Uh, but as John Calipari introduced his freshman class to the world, Mike Chuseski uh, probably stood in a corner of Cameron Indoor Stadium and lit a cigar. And why is that? Well, Kentucky's One Direction-like band of youngsters can't top the number one squad he's created in Durham. Duke's bench is a top 25 squad. Uh, I'll just... uh, Wisconsin Badgers uh, had a fantastic season after the two Final Four seasons. Uh, I think they're going to be on the way back, maybe win the Big Ten. And college basketball now has exceeded college football for me just because of how fun that Final Four run was two years in a row. It was a blast. Uh, College football, to me, is the number one sport. But my favorite event every year is the NCAA tournament. I'm a big college basketball guy, too. You're listening to Steve Dace.
what a blaze of glory sounds like. The Steve Day Show. All right, let's get to some feedback Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. I want to start with just a smattering of the voluminous feedback I have received from my appearance on PBS on Wednesday that we played the audio the other night here on the show. I'm still smoking cigarettes. (laughs) Um, Tom writes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I came out of my seat last night watching PBS when you presented some cold hard facts for the media. My wife laughed at my excitement to hear you speak for us. Dennis Belmont wrote, thank you for your great comments on the PBS NewsHour, your points that the lack of ideological diversity within news organizations is a large contributing factor to why the media missed the Trump wave were so right on. I was cheering and Judy Woodruff looked stunned. Congrats on your interview. This is from Mark Mulkey. Mark Mulkey. Congrats on your interview yesterday with Judy and Harry on the PBS NewsHour. You were awesome in giving them a verbal beatdown with a load of truth that they, nor the, nor the segment's other guests, could even begin to counter. I was seriously surprised they gave someone of your political ilk, moxie, and eloquence a fair hearing. They usually try to pawn off someone like David Brooks as their conservative voice and counterbalance to their usual liberal dribble and the hacks that back them. Bill Buckley would have been proud of you. That is one of the nicest things anyone has said to me in my career, by the way. Well, the, a couple more, then I'll let you go. Roger Hayes. In fact, one more. Roger Hayes says, thank you for your comments on the PBS NewsHour. You express my thoughts far better than I could have myself. The media, particularly in the Northeast, is largely living in an echo chamber. It pains me that your questions were not acknowledged. And now this is, I could really have filled this entire hour with feedback I have gotten from this. I just grabbed those few to show you guys something. Our people are dying for us to take their values into the public square and champion them. That's all I was going to say. Okay, Do it. Take advantage of it. When you get those opportunities, do it. And and I'm probably speaking not just to the listeners in this case, but, you know, our peers in our industry. Stop saying no to these other liberal media outlets. You know, originally I agreed to do them because I was a nobody coming up in the world of syndication and I just needed to do as much media as I could to get my name out there. But as I started doing it, I realized this is, I started seeing the reaction from people I was getting. I'm just telling you, maybe 20% of the population buys into what the, what, what the progressive movement is selling us. Maybe, maybe. There are a lot of people out there who don't have a clue what we believe. Go back and listen to one of the calls I got from a gentleman in Michigan when I was on C-SPAN the week before the election. I've never heard anything like this. I, I guess I really didn't know what conservatism really was. No, they don't. They know what they what they know what David Brooks says it is, and he's not even a conservative, or they know what the liberal media says conservatism is. When they hand us the megaphone, and I, I want to say this to the peop, my peers, I saw Glenn Beck wrote a column for the New York Times. Bravo, bravo. I want to say this to my peers who have dramatically larger audiences than we do. Beck, Levin. Um, Hannity, even though he just drove us nuts and be clowned himself. Could you imagine Sean Hannity as press secretary? I would sign up for that tomorrow. Wouldn't you not sign up? Could you imagine Sean Hannity with the, with the snowflakes in the press room for an hour? The few, the, we, I would for, have Aaron tape that every single just, day. Just for the fun pack. I would have so. him tape it every day because we, we get some soundbite. We could do an hour's worth of a show off of that. Listen, I understand Fox and the, and the thing, and we got to sell our wares and our books. I'm a businessman. I own my own company. I own this show. I get all that. I'm not doing this for free. Are you guys doing it for free? 
No, we're nope. this is how we're feeding our families. Kim's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, I'm kind of yeah, doing it for fun. That's why she's here part time. <laughs> but I get all that. But but we're going to have to add some people, guys. Add. The reaction I got from an appearance on PBS was amazing. And I don't have the size of audience where if I put to, uh, you know, a half million people on Twitter, I'm going to be on PBS. And so PBS gets 20,000 people to watch who normally wouldn't because they're fans of mine. We don't have that size of a platform yet, which means this was people who were watching PBS's news hour on their own who caught me on the air. See where I'm going here? Mm-hmm. Be fishers of men. Fishers of men. Move, as the great prophet Sam Kinison said, move where the food is. Move where the food is. Go be fishers of men. We need to take our guys and gals that have built. Say what you want about Ingram. She's going to be a megastar when this was over. She bet it all on Trump and it paid off. The men and women we have that have have shown the talent to create massive platforms far bigger than ours. Take that talent and go play offense with it. Yes, go do your Foxes and the Blazes and the Newsmaxes. And and, and, because we need to have sanctuaries, too, where we can get our message out to our own people. I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But when the opposition says, hey, why don't you come come share your propaganda with our native population, say, okay. When, When Gorbachev invited Reagan to come walk down the streets of Moscow, what do you think he said? I'll get there as soon as I can. Take advantage of the bullhorn when they offer it to us. You're listening to Steve Dace. No wasted ammo. This is Steve Dace. All right, more Feedback Friday here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Daniel says, I was curious if you could go over what you think about the political ramifications of this election for people like Cruz, Rubio, or any other conservatives that have been rumored to run for president uh, as of uh, what happened in this election. Um, the ramifications for them are all the same. If, um, if no, they, ha- they have no shot to be president for at least another 8 to 15 years. Trump runs for re-election? He may not. I would not be shocked Trump will be 74, 75. He can cross this off the bucket list. I could see if his popularity is way down or way up. I could see if it's way down, he could say, you know, I'm 75, what's the point, and let Mike Pence run. If he's way up, I could see Trump, can you see Trump going mic drop? Oh, yeah. And going out on a high note and sending Mike and handing the baton off to Mike Pence. He did that earlier today, got rid of Christie, put Pence in charge of the transition. Which for conservatives, I think, is a huge upgrade. And I'm not the biggest Mike Pence fan, but the upgrade between—I've documented my issues with him. But, I mean, Chris Christie, man, is knuckle-dragger. At least with Mike Pence, he at least understands ideologically where we're coming from if he hasn't shown the most moral courage with it at the same time. So at least with Pence, you'll be listened to. And Christie is an enemy. He's not one of us at all. He's an enemy. He's a progressive. But Pence will at least be listened to. It doesn't mean he'll go in there and fight in the room for you, but at least you'll get to make your petition to Mike Pence. Christie, no. So that was a good move for us. So I could see Trump not running again, handing it off to Pence. If he gets reelected, then you're waiting at least, what now? Another 12 years then, right? Because he's an eight-year president. Right. 
So nobody else, nobody in this group is going to be president of the United States for 8 to 15 years. Is my math right on that? Yeah. Okay. So I think they should all reassess then where they're at. And there's a lot worse jobs in America than being a United States senator. Can I be honest about that? Okay. So maybe you're happy being there, and that's okay. Now, the Ted Cruz I know is very ambitious because he is he aggressively believes in the principles that he was literally birthed and marinated and discipled in by his old man. So he doesn't he Ted Cruz is not in Washington to be a placeholder. The reason why he's pushing the envelope because he doesn't want to be a guy sitting there in 20 years from now just doing chicken rubber chicken dinners. That he does this Ted's Ted's sense of self-worth is not I'm a member of the Senate. Ted's ego is driven by our principles. It's one of the reasons him and I get along so well. People, I, I, I have an ego, but it's not driven by how many stations do we have. You know, how many listeners do we have? I, I need to know those things because I run a business, but that's not what drives me. What drives me is I want to win the argument. That's what I'm in here to do. That's what my ego is driven by is I want to win. I want to win the existential debate of the era. And that's what Ted Cruz is driven by. So I would imagine without betraying any confidences or anything, because we spoke in post-election, but I think I could safely say, of course he's going to, you don't have to be a genius to consider he's reassessing the life plan as a result of Tuesday. And, and I'm sure that he will calculate how much good he thinks he could do in the Senate. I don't think there's any chance at all if Donald Trump called him up and said, do you want to be the next Antonin Scalia? I know he said during the election that's not something he'd be interested in, because during the election it didn't look like Trump would win. And there'd be a chance he'd be one of the favorites to be the nominee in four years. Would you rather be president or Supreme Court justice, guys? President. President. Okay. Well, president's off the table now for eight to 15 years, and he's 45 years old now. You know, so he's in the prime of his life politically. And so this is the prime years of his career. He's going to assess, you know, where do I think I can make the most mark for our values? Is it being one of 100? Depends on the environment in the Senate. Or is it being one of nine? Somebody asked me today, well, I'd like to see Ted Cruz in the Senate as a check and balance. Brother, I'm telling you right now, if you want Ted Cruz as a check and balance, then you put him on the Supreme Court. Because one of nine, when he's in the Scalia seat, and he's even more, more forceful in his articulation of our beliefs than Scalia was even in his prime. That's a check and balance, brother. Can I get a witness on that? You want Amen. Ted Cruz to if, that, if your if your rationale is I want Ted Cruz to be a check and balance, See, being one of fifty two in Mitch McConnell's Republican caucus is somewhat of a check and balance. But sitting there on the Supreme Court, where all ideas go to die or live, sadly enough in this culture, that's where you are the ultimate check and balance. Now, I think a position he'd be perfect for that I don't think they'll ever offer him because one of Trump will give it to one of his closest cronies, sadly, will be my guess. But I would love to see Ted Cruz as the reverse Eric Holder, where he is the attorney general. And he, you put a culture warrior like Cruz in that position to undo everything Holder and Loretta Lynch did for the last eight years. Grab the grab Kim's like oh yeah I'm in oh, grab, yeah. grab the tub hang of corn that is it grab, that's right hang on to your butt snakes on the on the plane grab the tub of corn because the 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 gnashing and weeping will be if you think what you're watching right now is something it, the college campus atmosphere it will be real Todd and it would be spectacular they could charge admission to those Ted Cruz to those Ted Cruz press conferences at the Justice Department don't you think you had me at hello absolutely now I'd take enough I was in a dream world they put him in that spot yes that's a great spot all right for him. No, I, but i don't think the reality politically is that's going to go that's a, that's one of the most coveted spots in the administration that's going to go to a trump crony 
So what's the next best thing? To me, it's the Supreme Court. If I'm Marco Rubio, I'm, I'm looking now at I'm a little bit younger than Cruz. Um, my star has been heavily resurrected. By, I won my state. In fact, if you look at the numbers, it's likely that Rubio helped Trump carry that state. He dramatically outperformed him. So normally the, normally the president drags up or down the, the down-ballot candidates. You can make the argument that Rubio helped drag up Donald Trump. Okay, So if I'm Marco Rubio, I might be looking at, what's the, you know, what, if, am I happy here? Okay. Do I want to be a governor? Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably boosting Cruz, is, Cruz, is, Cruz and Rubio, I, my read of them, and I, I've, I've, I barely know Marco Rubio at all. I think I met him once, and then we had a couple of phone conversations, one of which was an hour-long debate over the Gang of Eight. All right? So I, I don't know him at all. Uh, I do know some people close to him. I don't, we're not friends like I am with Ted Cruz. But my read of Rubio is his ambition was always specifically to be president. Ted Cruz's ambition has always been to get to put himself in positions of, of authority to advance our values more so than a specific position here or there. So if, if I'm right about that, if I'm Rubio right now, I'm thinking for the next eight to 15 years, especially because when it's my time again, you will begin to see more of the demographic changes that we've been talking about with Hispanic voters and the millennial generation. That will be more, much further along in eight to 15 years than it is right now. So that would be a very attractive environment for a candidate like Rubio to run for president. So I'd be thinking about how would I enhance that resume? And do I enhance it here by being a strong national security senator and building a commander-in-chief resume? Or by running the state of Florida because I had that executive experience? And I don't know the answer to that question, but if I was on Team Rubio, that's what I'd be thinking about. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. We've come to the end of tonight's show. I would normally ask you guys what you've learned tonight, but you guys are going to get two whole shows by yourself without me. To, to flash your knowledge and impress the country with your intellect while I'm gone on a post-election uh, long weekend. Speaking of real and spectacular, Steve. <laughs> I, I want to I end the show tonight with what I've learned. I want you to listen to some audio. This is from uh, last night's NBA broadcast on TNT. This is Ernie Johnson, who's their longtime studio host. If you want to know... Or if you've been wondering, what does a real man sound like? What's a real man sound like? What you're going to learn is that it sounds like this. When this campaign season started, I, I felt like I'd been dealt a bad hand. Um, I had these couple of choices. And there were trust issues with Hillary Clinton I couldn't get past. And there was this inflammatory rhetoric from Donald Trump, which to me was incomprehensible and indefensible. I couldn't vote for either one. For the first time in going to the polls for 42 years... I hit the write-in button, and I voted for John Kasich. And I left knowing that John Kasich wasn't going to win, but I left with a clear conscience because I hadn't settled. Number two, I'm hopeful. I watched the video today at CNN on what was going on at the White House with Donald Trump, President Obama. I was hopeful and I was encouraged that there will be a difference between the President Trump and the campaigning Trump. And I'm with these guys. We have to give them a chance. 
But here's the deal. I just hope that he's all in, in, uh, in fixing the wounds in this country and the divides that separate this country. And I want to be part of that, too. And for me to be part of it, I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, how am I going to be a better man? How am I going to be a better neighbor? How am I going to be a better citizen? How am I going to be a better American? How can I be a fountain and not a drain? And number three, I know you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but we're already talking about politics. And so I'm going to go the R direction, too. I never know from one election to the next who's going to be in the Oval Office. But I always know who's on the throne. And I'm on this earth because God created me. And that's who I answer to. I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. And the greatest commandment he gave me was to love others. And scripture also tells us to pray for our leaders. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for all those people right now who feel like they're on the outside looking in, who are afraid at this point. Pray for them, too. In short, I'm praying for America. And I'm praying that one day we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know what? That Donald Trump presidency, that was all right. But I'm praying. I don't know what you guys think. To me, that's what a real man sounds like right there. That's what I learned here tonight. Todd? I'd write him in for president. That was great. Ditto. Everybody have a great weekend. Dig out from this election. I'll be back again on Wednesday. Until then, John 317. Listening to Steve Dace.